put yourselves in my shoes for a second, right? Sunday, you wake up, and you're ready to watch the Olympics. But the only event you want to watch is men's basketball. So you roll out of bed, you go ahead, you mosey on downstairs, coffee in your Yeti thermos because there's no other way to drink coffee. You go, you plop yourself on the couch, you turn on the TV, and you're looking for men's Olympic basketball. Go to Channel NBC, Channel 4. Not there. You go to NBCSN. That's strange. Nothing there either. You go to NBC These Nuts, and there's nothing there. Now, by this point, the men's basketball game, the United States against France, is already underway. So you go to Twitter. Where can I watch the men's national team? And you go to the USAB Twitter page, and it says Peacock TV. More like suck my cock TV because I don't have that, dog. I can't watch the men's basketball team play because it's not broadcasted elsewhere. Now, I could be wrong. I could just have totally missed, you know, the channel. The information on the channel could have been wrong. You know, maybe NBC was actually broadcasting the game. Well, I, that's a lie because I went to NBC first. And there, I forgot what was on. It was probably like tennis or horse racing or fucking some shit like that. But NBCSN, it didn't say it in, it didn't say it in the channel guide. So why would I think to check? Anyway, long story short, I did not get to watch the men's national team lose to France. By the way, kind of upset. Um, because I was, I was really excited to watch it. And oh, by the way, I am dog sitting today. This is my homeboy Jack. Snoozing right now. He's snoozing like a like a little good boy. He's chilling. He's so cute. But did not get to watch the men's national team get spanked and a little upset. A little upset, mainly because I don't feel qualified to, to be able to talk about what's going on with the team because I didn't watch them. Now, as we know, <laughs> the men's basketball team is not off to a good start. They lost, how many games did they lose in the prelims? They lost two, I think. They lost to Nigeria and Australia, and then they beat they beat Spain, and then they beat Argentina, I believe. Anyway, just talking about France versus the United States in this case. Final score was 83-76. Now, there were there are a lot of ways that this conversation can go. I was actually prepping for the show today, and I was on Google News, and I noticed an opinion piece on USA Today by Dan Wolken, and he was very, very upset with Greg Popper. With Greg Popovich, I don't believe that picked up because I wasn't talking. So like, he was very upset with Greg Popovich and was pretty much blaming Pop for all of Team USA's struggles so far. He said, more or less, I don't want to bring the article up because uh, I read through it and it wasn't like a shit piece or a stink piece, but it was definitely not the same opinion that I have. Now, he was pretty much putting all the blame on Greg Popovich. And the article, the headline said something about Greg Popovich stinks at US at coaching USA basketball, which I don't think is a fair assessment. I think that if anything else, now this is just kind of how I look at basketball in in general, whether it's NBA, international, college, well, not college, professional basketball, I should say, especially when it comes to NBA players and NBA teams, because I'm 
I'm the kind of guy that I just go and I place the blame on the players when the players aren't playing well. But when the players are playing well, I'm the first one to shower the players with praise first. And my my reason for thinking that is because the players are the ones that are executing. The players are responsible for taking the coach's game plan and making it work. Now, of course, the coach has to tailor a game plan to the strengths of the team that he's working with. Now, this piece that was written by Mr. Wolken, it said it, he was basically saying that Greg Popovich's game plan does not work with this with this group of guys. I don't know. I really don't know, man, because a lot of this is just the players not executing. And what was really interesting about this article is that it didn't say that he prioritized ball movement. When I read a previous article, it said the exact opposite. It said that Popovich's quote-unquote Spurgeon offense was too much for these players and too much in the sense that these guys, they kind of just want to go out and be the guys on the basketball team and they likened it to previous Olympic teams and I'm just like no that's not the case at all actually every past Olympics where the United States has been successful there's been a buy-in from these guys there's been a buy-in from LeBron Kobe D Wade uh even going back to the dream team with Jordan with Barkley like these guys wanted to play together and they wanted to go out and they wanted to dominate and they wanted to prove that the United States is the best country in the world when it comes to basketball, like uh, put all the political bullshit, all the, all that, like non-basketball talk aside, like some people are trying to speculate that these guys are tanking USA basketball for social justice reasons. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me at all because no athlete, nobody who's competitive enough to become a professional athlete is going to go out there and lose on purpose, especially not a player. Like I know we have tanking issues in the NBA, but that's usually at the direction of the front office. And oftentimes it's accepted by the players because the players aren't really, they're not talented enough to affect the outcome that drastically. So the coaches and the front office might want them to tank intentionally, but the players just, the team is just not that good. And they wind up getting smacked around. But Team USA, you're going to blame Greg Popovich for this for these guys shooting 36% from the field, you're going to blame these guys for shooting 41% on twos compared to France, who is at 47% overall and 60% on twos. You're going to blame Greg Popovich for Damian Lillard, Kevin Durant, Zach Levine, everybody shooting 10 of 32 from three. Granted, France didn't shoot that well from the perimeter either, but this isn't a Popovich issue. If it is a Popovich issue, it's that he hasn't been able to have the guys buy in. And I do think that these guys want to buy in and they do want to be successful. But it's like, it's not as easy as some teams make it look. And we've seen this in the past, even in the NBA. And Kevin Durant, I think I brought this up a couple weeks ago. He said, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. The U.S. men's national team is just not that cohesive right now. They have chemistry issues. These aren't, Guys like their European counterparts where they do get to play together all the time. That doesn't, that doesn't happen in the United States. It happens in Europe. It happens in Asia. It happens everywhere, everywhere else. These guys come up together. They spend all of their time together with the national team. Like National teams for European countries, 
for Australia, for African countries, for Asian countries. They don't change. It's the same faces every Olympics. It's like Pau Gasol's playing in his fifth Olympics. Same thing with Rudy Fernandez. Same thing with, uh, I can't think of any other Spanish players off the top of my head, Ricky Rubio. These guys all come up together. It's not that way in the United States. Every year, anytime there's a, there's a FIBA event, the team looks different. Every time. You know, the younger guys keep coming in. Oftentimes, their older guys drop out because the NBA schedule, especially in years of international play, it's just, it's too much. Like, you look at somebody like LeBron James, who goes and plays 75 games, or, you know, about 80 games every season, minus the years that he gets hurt. He then is consistently making deep playoff runs, and then he's going to go play in the Olympics. That's a lot. The games aren't like that in Europe. First of all, the games are shorter. The schedule isn't as rigorous. I think that they only they might only play like 50 or 60 games. I can't remember off the top of my head, but between EuroLeague play, tournament play, and regular season play, it really isn't that much compared to the NBA. It's still a lot, but things are just different in Europe. And another thing that I don't think people are taking into account is that the NBA game, stylistically, the way it's officiated, everything about it is different compared to FIBA, which is the international set of basketball rules. It's the one that the Olympics operates under. I think if they were to come to the United States, they would play by the United States rules. So, yep, 48-minute quarters. Um, you know, the goaltending rules are different. Defensive three seconds, which isn't really even called. But then again, I don't even know if... Because it's still an international event, even though it's in the United States. Anyway, it's all very different. Like, NBA players are not used to the way international basketball is played. It's significantly more physical. The games aren't as high scoring. Like, I've been doing a lot of just, you know, research on European league players, and some of the guys, they'll lead the league in scoring with 15, 16, 17 points. And then you come to the United States, you got Bradley Beal averaging like 32, Steph averaging 31, LeBron at 25, Dame at 29. Like, it's just, it's so different. And I th- really think that the increased physicality is an issue for the United States because these guys aren't used to having to play through excessive contact, right? The one thing about the NBA that everyone, the first criticism that people have is that the game is too soft. And when you watch internationally, yeah, relative to that, it is. And I wouldn't be upset if at some point the NBA decided to officiate a little bit more like the international style. But Overall, I think that this is a team-wide issue, like everything about it. I don't know if the roster composition is as big of an issue uh, that some people want to make it. I mean, they're really, you just kind of assemble the best guys and hope that they're able to figure it out. Like, whoever would have thought that LeBron, Kobe, D-Wade, Darren Williams, I'm trying to think of all the guys on like that 08 team on and on the 2012 team, like they shouldn't have any issues assimilating with each other. Similarly to how this team really shouldn't have that many issues trying to assimilate with one another. I mean, these guys are all super talented. You got Kevin Durant, Dame, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Zach Levine. These guys should be able to, (laughs) they should not have lost to France, right? And it sucks because they really got fucking demolished in the second half. And it's just, it comes down to missing shots, not taking care of the basketball. I mean, Team USA had 12 turnovers. France had 14. Um, I don't know how many points off. It doesn't doesn't tell me here. Oh, good morning. 
it doesn't really elaborate on that. But yeah, the United States plays Wednesday morning against Iran. And yeah, dude, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think they'll figure it out. I think it's going to get to a point where, you know, they're just going to give the ball to Kevin Durant. They're going to run a Brooklyn Nets style offense and just feed Kevin Durant the ball and have him carry the team because until they figure something else out, um, again, I really don't feel right criticizing the team because I didn't watch. So I don't have really that accurate of an understanding, but the box score, it really just, it really just comes down to missing shots. And I know Kevin Durant fouled out, which fucking sucks. How is Kevin Durant going to do? That's another thing. Like, That's another thing, dog. Kevin Durant's got to stay in the game. Like, you got to be better than that. I mean, oh, here we go. Damian Lillard, 3 of 10. Kevin Durant, 4 of 12. If I'm looking at this team, Kevin Durant and Dame are the two best guys on the roster. I mean, I know Jason Tatum's a stud. I'll throw him there as well. We'll take those three guys. That's your big three. That is who the offense should be running through every time down the court. If you want to add Chris Middleton in there, because we know Chris Middleton can get super hot any moment, but he might still be a little run down from the finals. I know Drew Holiday, dude, this guy had 18 points and seven assists or seven rebounds, most of them coming in the second half. Like, but first and foremost, you got to figure out a way to get Kevin Durant and Damian Lillard some easy shots early. Same thing with Jason Tatum. If you have to facilitate with Draymond Green, that's fine. But ultimately, if those guys are stuck, the team is going to be stuck because you're then leaning on Zach Levine, Devin Booker. Devin Booker is also probably exhausted from having just played in the finals. This dude averaged 30 against the Bucks for six games. Like, I'm sure he's wiped to a certain degree. Like, I'm just looking for Pop to figure out a way to make things as easy for Kevin Durant, Dame, and Jason Tatum as possible. Now, I really don't have much more to say on this topic, unfortunately. Really, um, I think the biggest story, at least in the NBA world, there have been the off season is the off season's off to a rocket start. So yesterday, Grizzlies and Pelicans made a trade. We got we heard some rumors on Bradley Beal. Those are kind of juicy. I'm debating on which one I want to start with first. I think I might do Pelicans, the Pelicans Grizz deal, just because it was actually, you know, an actual deal that went down. So this was yesterday, uh Monday. Pardon me, courtesy of the fantastic Woj says, quote, the Pelicans are finalizing a trade to send Steven Adams, Eric Bledsoe, and two future firsts, including the 10th overall pick in the upcoming draft, to the Grizzlies for Jonas Valanciunas and the 17th overall pick. Now, trying to think of how this deal could have possibly manifested. I know that the Pelicans were looking to clear some salary cap space, and they they did that. They did that with this move. I think they're trying to keep Lonzo Ball. Um, it appears that Lonzo and Zion are the centerpieces of the Pelicans going forward. You know, pretty obvious that that was going to be the case. You have a generational talent like Zion. You also have a very, a very high quality point guard who isn't going to monopolize the offense. And now it gives you time to go out and look for you know, possibly a veteran. I saw Kyle Lowry mentioned somewhere in here. Um, Really just, you know, anybody else. Like just, you know, 
a nice compliment. There were talks about New Orleans possibly using the 10th overall pick to bring Bradley Beal in, into the Bayou, but now that is definitely, uh, that's not going to happen. I do wonder if Memphis looking to just bolster the roster and improve on their first round appearance this season, if they're, if they're now potentially in the race for Bradley Beal. I don't know. I, I don't know what they would have to part with. Obviously, they would have to part with a handful of draft picks. I'm thinking Dylan Brooks, um, potentially Kyle Anderson as well, maybe Jaron Jackson Jr. I mean, we were talking about Damian Lillard last week and how in order to acquire him, the team reaching out, first of all, there would have to be at least three teams involved, but the, teams lo- the team looking to acquire Damian Lillard would have to part with something that was similar, if not better than what the Nets got for James Harden. Now, keep in mind that the Nets traded in total, I think it was like five players and seven picks. It was three outright and four swaps, something in that regard. It was a shit ton. It was a shit ton of assets that got moved across four franchises. Now, Bradley Beal is going to be a similar type player. This dude averaged like 35 and five this season. One of the most skilled offensive players in the NBA. This guy is a legitimate go-to scorer. He can be the number one option on a championship team. He scores for himself with the ball and without the ball. Can pretty much create anything, anything he wants. Is a great ball handler, exceptional three-point shooter. I mean, he's a big, strong, athletic guard who can either transform an offense or elevate them to a new level. I know the Warriors were mentioned in the Bradley Beal sweepstakes as well, but just getting back to Memphis. Memphis could potentially have the assets to bring in Bradley Beal. I just don't know if that would be that premature of a move. And also because it's not even really confirmed that Bradley Beal wants out of Washington. You know, I'm just going to fucking go ahead and skip over to this article since I'm already talking about it. So this is courtesy of Andy Katz from The Athletic. Now, he begins with Bradley Beal hasn't asked out. There is no trade demand or trade request, not even a timid suggestion according to sources. But here we are, where the news of the week is an all-NBA talent deciding whether or not to make a decision. The hazy reality swerves from the usual narrative about Beal. He has insisted for years that he wants to remain with the Wizards, the only organization that's ever employed him. Deciding if he'll make a decision, however, leaves daylight. Beal, a three-time All-Star who can become a free agent after this upcoming season, has spent recent weeks mulling his future and, quote, at times has been very much on the fence about whether or not he wants to remain with the Wizards. Our Sham Sharanya wrote Sunday, a report that came on the heels of a similar one from Bleacher Report. So the thing with Beal is that he's very, um, I don't want to say he's indecisive because he, well, I mean, I guess he's indecisive at times because there is no definite I want to stay I want to go from him he's been very steadfast about wanting to remain in Washington for the length of his career and he's already been there for about a decade so what's a couple more years gonna hurt above that he does have the chance to bring in I think it's like 54 extra 54 million extra dollars if he were to resign with Washington once his deal concludes that's because they own his bird right so they can tack on that fifth year to a contract any other team can only put on four now I feel like this kind of talk doesn't even really 
matter because so many stars opt for shorter deals that can maximize their short-term gains, but also leaves them that flexibility to go elsewhere if nothing, if nothing substantial happens. Of course, you are going to have guys like Giannis who do accept the Supermax, but it's different when you're a team that is on the cusp of being a contender and then you secure your superstar talent. And then, of course, as we saw, Milwaukee goes out and they win a title. And, you know, over the next two, three years, they are going to be in the title race again. Their big three is under contract for at least the next two years, I believe. And, of course, having Giannis pretty much changes everything. But for a team like the Wizards, who really don't have that much going for them in the short term, it wouldn't make sense for Bradley Beal, who's in his prime. He's 28, 29, somewhere in that area, has a few more years, a few more good years left in him. Like, you would think that he'd want to win and he'd want to go to a team that can bring him a championship. Like, Washington is not going to be contending for a title anytime soon. Let's just get that out of the way. The John Wall, um, Bradley Beal backcourt has already been broken up. So, what does it hurt to get rid of Bradley Beal? Because he's already leaned towards the side of wanting to go at some point. Maybe not right now. And there are reports of him being a little upset with the team's decision to hire Wes Unsell Jr. over Sam Cassell, whom was somebody that Beal wanted. Now, that is, of course, very interesting because now that's the second time, the other one being Portland, where a team has not, seemingly not consulted their superstar on whom they want to be the next head coach. Now, I don't know if Bradley Bill was consulted or not, and they just ultimately decided to go with unselled over Sam Cassell. But regardless, I don't know how much of a difference either guy is going to make um, both rookie, or I think Sam Cassell would be a rookie head coach. Either way, the Wizards, much like the Blazers, are not a team that's going to be repaired just simply by bringing in another coach. Now, let's move on, see if I can find anything juicier in this. Um, the Wizards don't want to shop him, and he hasn't asked them to do so yet. He also hasn't reasserted his fervor for the organization, the same one whose jersey he once said he wanted to die wearing. And now, the wonder is if he'll change the wardrobe. Um, they start talking about Dirk. Um, we always say, it's always easy to jump on the other side with two, three other guys who are really good, but at the same time, the grass isn't always greener. We've seen that history has shown that Beal told Katz in March referring to himself and Trailblazers guard Damian Lillard. So it's tough because we feel like we're in a position to where we have some type of power and control to where the organization is decided to build around you. Like, that doesn't happen every day. And you know that. There's only 30 teams. That's kind of unicorn type shit. Not many guys could say... Or not... Not many guys could say who they want on their team. Not many guys have the opportunity to have the team build around them. So you can't just overlook these things. And then the commitment that you make to the city, the commitment that you make to the community, to your team, those things carry weight. So ultimately, I don't really know what's going to happen with Bradley Beal. I mean, he's, it's just, it's, it's very tough. It's very tough to decide, and I really just like hate speculating, but speculating is also a lot of fun, so like it it's all just very, very interesting, but of course, speculation is what makes the world go around. I want to see if I can pull up like let's see if I could just pull up something that talks about the potential packages, oh fuck yeah, 
or RB. So there is, holy shit, there is quite literally every team being mentioned alongside Bradley Beal. So Warriors, Sixers, Heat, Hawks, uh, the Celtics, of course. The Celtics are always the talk of the town when there is a superstar in the making. The Lakers, of course. Damn, I'm having fucking information overload right now, and I'm just going to click the first article because fuck it. Because it's Google, and the first article is always the best. And this is courtesy of our friends at Bleacher Report, of course. Let's see. The Warriors, the Sixers, the Heat, and the Hawks. Among arguably probably every other team in the fucking in the league, except for the Brooklyn Nets. But they are but dude, I don't even want to fucking talk about the Bradley Beal rumors anymore. There was so fucking oh dude. Back before the Nets traded for Harden, this was before we even knew that Harden was available. Everybody on the TL was just talking about Bradley Beal this, Bradley Beal that. And I'm like, dude, I would fucking love to have Bradley Beal on the Brooklyn Nets. I was a little skeptical because, you know, not really the best defender, high volume type scorer, isn't really that much of a playmaker. So, of course, that doesn't happen. I also felt that there was no way the Nets were going to be able to add another superstar, whether it was Dame, whether it was Bradley Beal, whether it was James Harden. Of course, that came to pass, but I'm, of course, happy with the decision to bring in James Harden. But, yeah, you have to look at the teams that have all the assets. Who has assets? The Sixers have assets, one of which being Ben Simmons, who has been talked about ad nauseum in trade rumors this offseason. It's been him going to Portland for Dame. Now he could potentially go to Washington. The Sixers, they have the assets. The Warriors have the assets as well. They have two picks in the lottery this season, the 7th and the 14th. They have Clay coming back. They do also have James Wiseman, so they really don't need to keep their young talent if they, don't, if they plan on, you know, trying to reignite this dynasty. Of course, Clay's coming back. You have Draymond, Steph, everybody. Uh, who else? Atlanta. Um, I don't really know about Atlanta, dog. I, I think that whether it's Dame, whether it's Beal, these are the two hottest guys on the trade block right now, the potential trade block. Of course, neither has officially requested a trade, but they aren't exactly too thrilled with their respective franchises. At, the, at this time. Ultimately, I don't think that any team who's vying for either one of these guys really has a preference because both these guys are more or less the same. The only difference is that Dame is a more traditional point guard, the type of guy who's, you know, more outward in his unselfishness. Bradley Beal, this guy gets the rock and he wants to fucking score, which is fine if you're a team like Golden State for example, where you have multiple guys who aren't afraid to pass the ball. Steph isn't afraid to pass. You have Dre, who can facilitate the offense, who does facilitate the offense a great deal of the time, and they have the assets to make it work. Of course, it's just going to come down to the finances, and me, I'm too fucking smooth-brained to entertain that kind of conversation. I'm not a salary cap guy in the slightest. There are people significantly smarter than me, but one thing I found interesting is that there were people talking about the Warriors trading for Dame and not wanting to bring him on because of the concerns of the defense, right? Because we know Steph is a below average defender, at least one-on-one. -on -one. He looks significantly better 
in a team setting because he can gamble a little bit more. And you can really do anything you want when you have Draymond anchoring your uh, your defense. So, but one-on-one Steph is below average. Clay, we don't know what he's going to look like coming off of this injury. I mean, I was very worried about Kevin Durant, you know, being 60% of himself after the Achilles and he comes back and he plays the best basketball of his career. I don't know if Clay is going to have a similar um a similar outcome, but we can't rule it out, especially what we saw with Kevin Durant. So Clay could come back, be the same player, but I would bet that he would come back a little bit less. His ceiling is probably at like 85-90% now. But, you know, Bradley Beal isn't that great of a defender either. He just fits better into the team scheme offensively because he can play without the ball. He spent many years playing without the ball alongside John Wall. And even then, this is a guy who is consistently giving you 20, 22, 23 points. It was only until recently when Wall was hurt for majority of the season where Beal became more ball dominant and turned into arguably the best scorer in the NBA. So I wouldn't see him having an issue returning to a spot where he's not that ball dominant. And well, if you were to go to the Warriors, which, you know, they might be the favorites to land him at this point or at the time he actually decides to request a trade. I think that the Warriors load management would get a lot easier for them, especially with Klay Thompson, especially with Steph being a little, being a little older. Like those guys aren't going to be playing a lot of minutes. And if you have Bradley Beal, someone who not only fucking has been healthy, but he's played a significant amount of minutes over the last couple of years. One of those guys who's always consistently at the top of the um, the minutes leaderboard. I, I just think that when Bradley Beal ultimately requests a trade, because I do think, I do think it's going to come. It's going to come. I'm going to come. I think the Warriors will be one of the teams only if it comes either Wednesday or Thursday. I mean, they might not even be, a, there might not even be a report. If history has shown us anything, it's that teams always are, how do, how do I say this? Teams that are the most involved in trade talks don't really have that many leaks. And I think it's because they're just so focused on getting a deal done that there's no time to leak anything. So we've seen this about Bradley Beal, but I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Monday or Thursday, six o'clock rolls around and we get a tweet from Woj and it's like the Wizards are heavily engaged in talks to trade Bradley Beal to the Warriors for the seventh or for a package centered around James Weissman and their two lottery picks. I would not be surprised at all. And that would give the Wizards two very quality young or potentially even three quality pieces to continue to build their team around. And again, you can also, if that were to be the case, I'm well, I'm I think I've really sold myself on Bradley Beal to the Warriors. I do think that team would be a fucking that team would be a colossus, but the depth would be the depth would be a definite issue. The salary cap would be an issue as well. But the Wizards could also bring in a couple of those pieces and then just ship one of them off to another team for you know, dude. They could fucking get if the Pistons were interested in trading a pick. They could flip the seventh pick and the James and James Wiseman if they were to get them, of course, to Detroit. For the number one pick. And then guess what? You draft Evan Mobley. Um, Kate Cunningham. One of those guys. One of the consensus first overall picks. And then guess what? 
your franchise is obviously a, a little worse because they were still, I think, like 33 and 38 this past year, but you're set up better for the future, which at this point, I think that's what they should be looking for. Whenever you bring in a new coach, and then at some point you're going to start bringing new people into the front office, it's just, it's time for a change. The old regime didn't work. The old Wizards, as great as Wall and Beal were, they just, they didn't work. And it's unfortunate, but that's kind of just, that's kind of just how it goes in the NBA world. Um, This was another thing I saw that was really interesting from BR, talking about the trade buzz on Shea Gilgis Alexander, which I don't know what the fuck. Okay, so this is, keep this with a grain of salt. And the next all-star caliber player team, wait, and the next all-star caliber player team personnel currently I as available, OKC point guard Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who's suddenly eligible to sign a projected five-year, $168 million rookie-scale extension this summer. It would appear, however, any interest any interested team would need to meet the Thunder's significant asking price. It's going to take a fucking lot to get him, but he's no longer impossible to get, said one team executive. Um, I don't know if this team executive, I have to blow my nose, holy. Easy. Fucking. We just got a bunch of trees. We just got a bunch of <coughs> my hair. We just got a whole bunch of trees put in the backyard because we we re- we redid the whole backyard this summer, and the landscaping people they just started adding like a whole bunch of new uh, shrubbery, some foliage, some trees, and I wonder if like they're responsible for this sudden wave of allergies that I'm experiencing. Anyway, uh, continuing. That would present a categorical that would present a categorical change in the Thunder's approach to SGA from ahead of the 2020 draft last August. Sources said when all four teams selecting within the first four picks contacted OKC about the 23-year-old and were quickly quickly rebuffed by team officials. Flashing forward to the summer where OKC proactively called Detroit to offer SGA plus the number six for the number one, sources said in an attempt to land Cade Cunningham. The framework, BR, Jonathan, okay. I don't understand why OKC would even want to flip Gilgis Alexander. Like, this kid, let's pull up his numbers real quick. So this dude is coming off a season where he averaged 23 points, 24 points. 23.7 and six assists. He shot 51% from the field. You okay back there? He's a sleepy boy. And shot 42% from three. Listen, if I'm the Thunder, what, I'm not looking to trade this guy. I don't understand why Sam Presti has a hard on for just collecting assets and then flipping them for more assets. At a certain point, you have to use these assets. SGA is a tremendous asset. And he's a tremendous asset because he's a proven player. This is one of the issues I have with trading young players for even younger players. And by younger players, I mean like lottery picks. Is because you're trading a proven talent 
for an unproven talent, right? You're trading Shea Gilgis-Alexander, or at least attempting to trade Shea Gilgis-Alexander for Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, or Jalen Green. Those three guys are in the running for the top overall pick, even though Cade Cunningham is projected to go first overall. With that said, none of these guys have proven themselves at the NBA level. Cunningham, even though I don't follow college basketball that closely, and seen Cunningham play, fantastic player, high upside, same thing with Mobley, and same thing with Green, who dominated in the G League, which arguably is a harder field, is a harder league to perform well in compared to college. At any rate, why would you want to trade an all-star quality player? Because SGA is probably probably going to make an all-star team next year. And he will be a perennial all-star over the following seasons. Like, this guy is on the verge of averaging 25-5-5. And, and you're going to part with that for somebody who might not even come close to those numbers. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand the trade buzz around SGA. It just doesn't, again, it doesn't make any sense for Sam Presti to do this. Right? The Thunder, what they finished? They finished like with the worst record in the NBA this past season. Yeah, they finished 14th in the Western Conference, which is like second to last, I think. The roster, really, the only redeeming player on this roster was SGA. Lou Dort played well. Uh, Darius Baisley, Hamadou Diallo, like, there are quality players on this roster. Oh, uh, did they fucking trade this guy? I don't even remember. They did. They traded Hamid Diallo to Detroit. Anyway, like, wh- what the fuck is Sam Presti trying to do here? Please, someone, someone explain this to me. Why would he want to part with SGA, who is the centerpiece of the Thunder's long-term rebuild? Pay this guy, develop him, and then build around him. It just it doesn't it doesn't really make any sense to me, but I guess I'm just too smart to be a GM in um in the NBA. Like it's gonna get to a point where, you know, we all uh, we've applauded Sam Presti in the past for fleecing these teams in route to collecting a bajillion assets. He's got like seventy five draft picks. He owns a firstborn from various NBA general managers, but he's hasn't it just seems like he's collecting them just to collect them, which is weird, right? He's like the Amazon of the NBA, where he just wants to, oh, he's just basically wants to own the league. He's on his quest for world domination, and really, the moves that he makes, it doesn't have to, they don't have to benefit the team, they just have to benefit his quest for renaming the National Basketball Association to the Sam Presti Basketball Association. Anyway, I think it'd be fucking real stupid for the Thunder to trade SGA, but um, I don't think it's going to happen. I think, uh, I think Sam Presti is just, again, just trying to collect a bunch more assets. Um, what else, dude? What else? I was trying to look for, uh, I was trying to look for some more news, but I started talking about the, um, the Pelicans Grizzly deal and it just kind of it just kind of fell apart so I apologize about that um I want yeah again the only thing I could say is I wonder if um if the Grizz are going to try to make a play for Bradley Beal on draft night now that they own the um 
now that they own the what pick? The 10th. I do also think that New Orleans might try to flip Valanchunas as well. I mean, they might not, but just in terms of like production, he's a he's a great player, dude. Jonas Valanciunas is a fantastic player. I mean, just a huge, a fucking huge guy to just put in the paint and inhale rebounds. Like I was thinking about him on the Nets, how fucking how fucking tight that would be, and how he pretty much patches every hole that they have except for wing defense. But you know, the one thing, the one thing about J Val. That I don't like is that he's really not that great a defender. He's not that great of a defender. Um, I'm trying to pull up his numbers right here. So this this guy is a literal walking double double, 17 and 13, about averages about three fouls a game with less than a block. So very, very suspect defensive performance, but also like Shooting 37% from three for a guy who isn't really considered a stretch five. Like, shout out to him for expanding his game. I think that he's going to fetch a decent price tag if New Orleans decides to trade him. Um, but yeah, I don't. I really don't know about that. Um, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to react to some more news. This is from Hardwood Houdini. We're going to grade these trades. Boston Celtics, two Bradley Beal blockbusters sees should pursue. This is from Mark Nylon, Nylon, N-I-L-O-N. N I L O L I N Oh my god. Brain broke. N I L O N. Mark, if you're reading this or if you're listening to this, what up? <laughs> That's the fucking worst shout out ever. Okay, so this is the first of the two trades. Celtics get Bradley Beal, Wizards get Marcus Smart, Tristan Thompson, Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard. First round pick swaps in 2020 and tw- in First round pick swaps, I'm really struggling with my fucking reading comprehension today. Pick swaps in 2022 and 2024, and first rounders in 2023 and 2025. That's a fucking, that is a hell of a deal right there. Um, Off the bat, this is what I was talking about with the Warriors. Any team that is trading for somebody like Bradley Beal, this is similar to the James Harden deal. And this was only between two teams, which is... um quite impressive that he was able to uh make this work i'm sure a third team would be involved but um where at any rate even if a third team was involved it would just mean that the wizards wouldn't be receiving all of these assets and that the celtics would probably get one other player but anyway boston's depth is pretty much shot at this point marcus smart and tristan thompson were huge for them over this year over the uh over this past season marcus smart has been huge for them for what feels like forever uh, Neesmith and Pritchard, two younger guys. <laughs> Neesmith and Pritchard, two younger guys who have potential to be, you know, decent role players, but really didn't do anything for the Celtics. Parting with Smart and Thompson, though, are it's going to be a huge blow. But then again, you get Bradley Beal. So this is this is what it takes to trade for a superstar. But then you look at Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. And Bradley Beal. And I believe, didn't they also just uh, trade for Al Horford? I gotta be, dude, I gotta be fucked. I'm so fucking shot. I have not been the same since I came back from Florida. I went to Florida. I talked about it uh, last week. I was there for a weekend. Came back. Um, had a wedding on Thursday. It was, an, it was a fucking overnight thing. And then I had a graduation party this past Saturday. I'm fucking shot. 
So, I would give that deal. He did get traded. He he did get traded back to Boston. That's right. It was uh for Kemba Walker. Okay. I would give this deal. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm bordering like C plus B minus. I think a B, I think B minus is good because again you get Bradley Beal, but. You know, parting with Marcus Smart, I really wonder what Boston's defense is going to look like without him. Of course, they still have Jalen Brown. And of course, you got Jason Tatum. These guys are going to put up points like a motherfucker. But yeah, I'm probably leaning towards B minus now. The second deal, let's see. Oh my God. Okay. So what the, hold on. What the fuck? Holy shit. This is a deal and a half. Okay. This is a three-teamer. Celtics get Dorian Finney-Smith. From Dallas, Mavericks get Bradley Beal. The Wizards, oh my God, get Porzingis, Jalen Brunson, Jalen Brunson, and Josh Green. They also get first round pick swaps in 2024, or yeah, 2022, 2024, 2026. Then they get first rounders in 2025 and 2027, and then second round picks in 2022 and 2021. Um, This is a fascinating deal, just off the bat. Having a backcourt pairing of Bradley Beal and Luka Doncic might be the single worst defensive backcourt in NBA history. Let's just, let's just put that out there. I am entirely out on Dallas bringing in Bradley Beal. I'm entirely out on Dallas bringing in any second star that isn't Kawhi Leonard, right? So Kawhi Leonard, I've got to just pull up his... Uh, I'm going to pull up Kawhi's contract real quick. Okay. So Kawhi has a player option for this season, this upcoming season. If he declines, the Mavericks have to find a way to bring him to Dallas. They need Kawhi Leonard like a, like a fish needs water. Like a horse needs a fucking short person riding. I don't even, I don't know where that's going. They need Kawhi Leonard badly. We're going to leave it at that. And I'm going to leave it at that because I've talked about this ad nauseum. So I'm out on this deal. Entirely because I don't think Dallas should even think about involving Bradley Beal because it doesn't fix any of their problems. It would just make their offense more explosive. But teams need to be able to defend to win a title. That's how it is. Teams have to be able to defend to win a title. Dallas doesn't defend shit. It's like they're playing Bloom's Tower defense with no towers. It's just all offense all the time. So, out on this deal entirely. Uh let's let's react to some more stuff. I hope I'm oh, I am still looking at Bradley Beal. That's why I have all the fucking that's why I have all the Bradley Beal. Oh, this uh dude, we're, dude, inject the fucking Ben Simmons trade content. Into my veins. Report. NBA trade rumors. Raptors. Raptors rejected multiplayer Ben Simmons trade proposal. What? 
this is um this article that I'm reading was written by Kyle Newbeck, but Matt Moore of the Action Network is the one who had the um the original report. He says, quote, multiple sources confirmed Sunday that the Toronto Raptors have emerged as a team with, quote, significant interest in Simmons. One source close to talk said discussions have not been substantial as of yet. <gasps> Pardon me. Multiple sources, including those close to talks, said a proposed framework, including Raptors, oh my, including Raptors guards Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Fleet, OG Ananobi, and the fourth overall pick in Thursday's draft for Simmons was rejected by Toronto. This is interesting. Why would Toronto reject this deal? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I, dude, I'm seriously... I, I wonder why Toronto... I wonder why Toronto... Cause, now, just hear me out. This trade is significantly better for Philadelphia than it is for Toronto. It is way more it is seriously one-sided now i don't know if this is the exactness of the trade i'm sure there were some more throw i I don't even want to say i'm sure but i wonder if there were a couple throw-ins just to make the deal work but either way dude (laughs) the sixers called toronto and they were like hey we want (laughs) fucking two of your three best players a quality role player, and the fourth overall pick for Ben Simmons. That's fucking, that's fucking crazy. But then again, what's the first rule of negotiating? Start high. It's easier to go lower than it is to start low and go high. Um, Yeah, I'm not surprised that Toronto rejected this trade because Ben Simmons doesn't really do much for them if, like, he just doesn't do much for them at this stage because you have Pascal and Ben Simmons, both of whom are quality offensive players, but not shot creators like Kyle Lowry is or like Fred Van Fleet is or even like Joel Embiid is. Now, of course, Joel Embiid is an entirely different type of player, but this guy can go onto the block and has 75 moves that he could pull out. On He's got counters to counters to counters to counters times 17 i feel like um that's fucking amazing yeah fred <laughs> lowry van vliet ananobi in the fourth pick in thursday's draft was rejected by toronto i cannot say i'm surprised by that that would make the sixers fucking well it would make the sixers really good for a short period of time because newbeck says that um a Lowry for Simmons swap significantly shortens the title window for Philadelphia. Right, I get that. But their title window is probably not that. I mean, yes, you can say that their title window is longer just because Simmons is shorter than Lowry. But if they haven't gotten to a conference finals with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, I don't think it's happening anytime soon 
And I can't even talk about short title windows because, hello, the fucking Brooklyn Nets more basically went all in on Kyrie, KD, and James Harden. Their title window is maybe three seasons long. This first season was a wash. They have this upcoming season, which is their first like real good shot at a title, and then they might have the following season if things don't deteriorate during next summer. So I'm not really buying in to the title window stuff. Of course, it's something to consider, but like at some point, Joel Embiid is going to be like, this isn't working. I want to go somewhere else. And if bringing in Kyle Lowry, Van Fleet, Ananobi, and the fourth overall pick, because then you could even, you know, wave the 48th overall pick, or not the 48th, wave the fourth overall pick in front of another team's face. I mean, actually, no, that's not really possible. Um, You could then pick a player and wave that player in the face of another team, but this would be a fucking no-brainer for Philadelphia, which is obviously why they were the ones who approached Philly with this deal. Um, What else? Sports Illustrated is ranking the top 50 players in free agency. No, thank you. Oh, here we go. Report Team USA player. This is what I was talking about before. When I Remember when I said that people were upset with the Spurgeon offense? Apparently, it was the players themselves. Per jo- jo- John Varden of... John? I thought it was Joe. Has his name been John the entire fucking time? Oh, no. They just misspelled it. Okay. They misspelled it in uh in the article. To be clear, Popovich is horrified by his own coaching record. By his own record coaching this team, he dwells on it and hates the losing. The players are frustrated too, grumbling on their way back to the locker room about running the San Antonio offense when apparently they feel like they are there are better ideas. Pop has said because of the truncated nature of the training camp, the offense would be based on concepts instead of set plays. Now, I don't. I really don't think the players, well, they have a right to be upset that they didn't have adequate time heading in to the Olympics to familiarize themselves with the um the concept of the Spurs offense, which, to be fair, is a little archaic and not used to what players are used to running, right? Especially considering that n- really none of the guys on the team have experience with Popovich in the past. I mean, the only guy, and none of them like, I'm trying to think of the Popovich coaching tree. And I can't really think of anything off the top of my head. Of course, there is um, Mike Budenholzer, you know, through Holiday uh, and Chris Middleton. But even the offense that <laughs> Budenholzer runs in Milwaukee is pretty much the antithesis of what Popovich runs in San Antonio. The Bucks shoot a lot of threes. They play at a decent pace. They play faster than the Spurs play. But the Spurs are just like prioritize ball movement, you know, pass up a good shot for a great shot, work the mid-range. It's a very, un- it, the concepts, these concepts are inherently unusual to a lot of these players, especially guys like Damian Lillard and Zach Levine, where they are the go-to guys on their team, and they pretty much have full dictation over what kind of offense the team runs. I mean, even guys like Kevin Durant, as I already mentioned, um, there goes the chair creaking, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Jason Tatum, these guys play in more, I don't even want to say sophisticated systems compared to, um, you know, the pick and roll heavy ones, but systems that are a little more robust and have more angles to attack defenses from. 
even though they're based on ball and player movement, it's the type of ball and player movement that these guys are accustomed to running. So again, it does maybe fall on, it definitely falls on Greg Popovich a little bit. He's not entirely exempt from blame, but you know, bad luck with the training camp, which is something that totally slipped my mind in the beginning. But like, again, you know, at some points it just gets to, it just gets to the point where you got to put the ball in the hands of your best players and be like, listen, take out your fucking dick and just take, take over the game. Like that's, that's what's going to have to happen at some point. Maybe running San Antonio offense during the height of the beautiful game era would have sounded nice. Um, Yeah, like, again, it's very tough, especially the team doesn't have Bradley Beal right now, I don't think. I can't remember if he dropped out of the Olympics entirely, but it really, it's it's difficult when you, I can't even, you know, I'm not even going to try to defend this, because even though this is not the ultimate version of the United States, because there's no LeBron, there's no Steph, there's no James Harden. I'm trying to think of a couple of the other guys. Um, really, n- you do have Kevin Durant, which is nice. Dame, which is nice. But it's just, it's tough. It, I really can only bring it back to how European nations and nations across the world, their national teams really don't change. And these guys are accustomed to playing with one another. Even if they had a truncated training camp, they can they still know the tendencies of each other. Like, Guys on Team USA, they don't, but ultimately that's not an excuse. They they have to figure it out. If they really if they want to win the gold, they're just gonna have to figure it out, and sooner rather than later. Um, what do we got here? Ooh, one free agency prediction for every NBA team. I'm definitely uh definitely clicking open this link and scrolling right down to the Brooklyn Nets. Spencer Dinwiddie leaves by way of sign and trade. Obvious. Yeah, this is. I keep seeing it. This is definitely more likely to happen than not holding on to Spencer Dinwiddie past the trade deadline could suggest the Brooklyn Nets are interested in re-signing him. Then again, probably not. Dinwiddie was extremely available at the deadline. Brooklyn offered him to the Golden State Warriors for Kelly Oubre. Okay, nice. According to NBA reporter Mark Stein, the interest in moving Dinwiddie was inarguable, as was his interest in joining another team. The Nets have enough on-ball creation with Durant, Harden, and Kyrie. Bringing back Dinwiddie on a biggish money deal that costs... The moon, oh, that costs the moon in luxury tax payments isn't the most prudent of resources. Working with him on a side and trade is the caps lock move. The mini, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, then, yeah, that's probably gonna happen. Damn, I really don't have anything to say on that. I've already professed my love to Spencer Dinwiddie multiple times. Um, I think it's time to go to Reddit. We're going to Reddit. Fuck it, we're diving in. Giannis orders 50 chicken nuggets on Instagram Live and tells the Chick-fil-A girl that she's on live with 150,000 people watching. And then he went and got the half lemonade, half Sprite with no ice to maximize drink volume. Amazing. Giannis on his finals run, we might never win another one. It's fine. We did it. We did what we're supposed to do. And I'd rather do it this way, win one this way, than go somewhere else in a super team and win two or three. Okay. Oh, fuck it. Awesome. On February 14th, 2016, 
Kanye West tweeted, quote, I'm a fix Wolves. Before this tweet, the Minnesota Timberwolves had a win percentage of 39.08. After the tweet, their win percentage their win percentage increased to 40.67. Happy Donda release night. Donda never came out. That's the funny part. Damn. Still waiting, Kanye. This was, I got a fucking email with this one. I was at a wedding. I was at my boy's wedding, and it goes, Russell Westbrook has a triple-double in his own name. Two S's, two L's, and two W's. That's... This man's entire existence is founded on a triple-double. You forgot the best part. He's Russell Westbrook III. Even better than that, his son is Russell Westbrook III too. What the fuck? Bro, I fucking love the internet. Dude, people on the people on Reddit are fucking. They're just like I don't even know how you could find this. The Bucks just had an incredibly rare palindromic run. What I mean is, you could reverse the order of their wins and losses throughout the postseason, and it would look the same. Their run in wins and losses in chronological order: four W's, two L's, two W's, an L, two W's, one L, two W's, one L, two W's, two L's. Four W's, and it's the exact same way the other way. That's fucking incredible. Holy shit. Never one W at a time. Interesting. Okay. Several Chick-fil-A locations are now offering the 50-50 inspired by Giannis Hef Sprite, Hef Chick-fil-A Lemonade. I wonder, is it only in a, it's definitely only in Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin fucking Chick-fil-A's though. Chick-fil-A cowards for not offering 50 chicken minis. True. Fuck Chick-fil-A. I'm just kidding. I'm fucking talking shit. Oh, God. Okay. Giannis fulfilled Kobe's final challenge to him, win a championship. That's true. That's awesome. Giannis sat on the sideline with Oppenheimer. They watched Charlotte's Nick Batum warm up. <laughs> Quote, you see Batum? If you work really hard, you might be able to be a Nick Batum type of player. Coach Giannis said, if I become Nick Batum, I'm going back to Greece. Oh, fuck. Awesome. Damn. I think... I think we're going to do it for today. Yeah. Definitely, uh... Definitely going to go ahead and wrap it up. Um, As always... Thank you guys so much for coming to hang out with me. If this is your first time, welcome. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. Everything that I'm associated with is down in the description below. Social medias, um, if you like that, go subscribe to my YouTube channel. I do a whole bunch of uh, basketball retrospective, historical type stuff. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, go ahead, leave a rating and a review. It helps me out a ton. Follow the show on Spotify and whatever other podcast player you listen to this on. As always, thank you guys so much, and I'll catch you all in the next one.